Did you know that hypogonadism affects as many as 5 million men in the United States alone? That's more than the number of men affected by prostate cancer and stroke every year, making it a prevalent yet often overlooked condition. So what can we as healthcare professionals do to change that? Welcome to SexMed on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and joining me today is Dr. Alexander Pastorshak, an assistant professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Dr. Pastorshak, Alex, thanks for joining us again today. Paul, thanks so much for having me and for talking about hypogonadism. I think this is a really important topic to discuss, particularly regarding what's going on in the field today. So glad we're going to talk about it. Okay, Alex, so why don't we start with the basics and review how urologists define hypogonadism. So hypogonadism, by definition, is a constellation of both clinical symptoms and then lab results. So, you know, a lot of people talk about low testosterone. The marketing campaigns that you and others might have seen focus on low testosterone. Is it lowt.com? But really, it's not just about the low testosterone. It's about the presence of symptoms as well. So that's, that's, that's a really important distinction. So, you know, guys need to have symptoms of hypogonadism, the most common of which include a decreasing libido, low energy and fatigue, and then, you know, sometimes some other sexual symptoms like erectile dysfunction. So, and this needs to be combined with a lab test that shows actual low testosterone levels. So, you know, a lot of patients come to my office, Alex, and they say they're tired, they're fatigued. But are you saying that all three have to occur at the same time, which is the uh, low libido, erectile dysfunction, and fatigue for you to consider uh, hypogonadism? Great question. No, not at all. And actually, if you look at the list of symptoms, there's probably about 10 or 15 of them that are on that list. But having one or more is really what, um, combined with the presence of a positive lab test, is really what defines hypogonadism. And what do these lab test results show? Yeah, so, so this, is, this is actually a really important thing, and, and this, is, this is where a discussion is much better than somebody writing a paper or, you know, whatever, text chat. But generally, a testosterone level of 300 or less, or less than 300 by definition, would be considered hypogonadism. That being said, right now, what we know about testosterone levels is men, in men is that once you turn 30, your testosterone levels start to go down by about 1% a year, right? So the lower limit of normal for a 30-year-old is going to be different than the lower limit of normal for a 70-year-old. But the problem with interpreting lab results is that right now there are no age-specific ranges of normal, meaning that giving a blanket definition of a testosterone level less than 300 as the definition of hypogonadism is inaccurate. So, you know, uh, the point I want to make is that if a guy has testosterone in the low normal range or low, but low normal meaning like 3 to 400 or 3 to 500 even depending on their age and comes in with symptoms, that may actually be a good candidate for treatment. Interesting. So t talk to us about some of the labs a little bit more. When we order blood tests, there's a testosterone level, there's a free and total. Which one of these tests do we do? Yeah, so uh, I do all of them, and the importance of that is when you, when you think about total testosterone, that's basically the total amount of testosterone that's in that blood. But 98 to 99% of all testosterone is actually bound by proteins in the blood, and these include a protein called sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG, and albumin. So what you, what you want to know is not only the total testosterone, but also the testosterone that's available to do the work, or free testosterone, which should be 1% to 2% of the total testosterone. So, 
you know, so the reason you check both is if a patient comes in and has, a, say, a normal total testosterone, say that, say that total testosterone is 500, right, and has a low free testosterone and also has symptoms, then, you know, that patient should be considered for therapy because that total testosterone may not be available to work. The other point that's important is that as a guy gets older, their SHBG actually goes up. So my SHBG being 40 is going to be lower than the average 70-year-old's SHBG, meaning by definition that I'm just going to have more testosterone available to do work than that 70-year-old would if our total testosterones were exactly the same. So it's important to know the free and total. So once a patient is diagnosed, what treatment options are available, Alex, for our male patients, and what circumstances do you consider using them? Yeah, so that's I think that's a really important and nuanced question in many ways. So, you know, obviously what most guys know about is I have low T, treat me with testosterone, right? That's not always the answer. That is sort of the most common treatment, but you really have to you really have to talk you really have to assess the actual patient and what his goals are and what i mean by that is you know in a young guy who's say in his 20s or 30s who comes in with hypogonadism because this does happen you know we need to know if this guy wants to be wants to have children when he wants to have children you know and what risk he's willing to take and the reason i say that is cuz testosterone and i'm sure we'll talk about this this testosterone comes with a number of side effects one of those being infertility so in terms of returning back to your question treatment options include testosterone but they also include other drugs like clomiphene citrate anastrozole which is an uh, which is an aromatase inhibitor and blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen as well as human chorionic gonadotropin or hcg um, so both Clomid and HCG stimulate natural production from the body, but are very safe for fertility in contrast to testosterone. So all of those are treatment options, but again, you need to know what the patient wants. So just testosterone isn't the only option. So for those just tuning in, you're listening to Sex Med on Reach MD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Alexander Pastorshak about diagnosing and treating hypogonadism in our male patients. So Alex, now that we've explored the signs and symptoms of hypogonadism and the different treatment options available, what are some of the risks or side effects associated with these therapies? So just to talk strictly about um, side effects of testosterone, because this is this is where the rubber meets the road and where most side effects happen, um, one of the most common side effects is infertility, and that's because testosterone will shut down the testicles. So the testicles will no longer make not only testosterone, which is where most testosterone from men comes from, but they'll also stop making sperm. The testicles, because you know, sort of use it or lose it, start to shrink. Um, the other two most common side effects include elevations in estrogen levels. And, you know, guys, when I tell guys that, they kind of they furrow their brows and look at me and say, Doc, what, what, are you, what am I turning into a woman? Um, and the answer is no, but you need testosterone to actually make estrogen. So in, even in women, the basis for estrogen is testosterone. But when testosterone levels go up, so do estrogen levels because those enzymes that convert testosterone to estrogen are pushed to make more estrogen. And that can cause nipple sensitivity and cause breast growth. And then the other most common side effect of testosterone is an elevation in red blood cell count or hematocrit. And that's because testosterone pushes the bones to make more red blood cells. All of these are easily managed, but 
The, but men on testosterone in particular, as well as any of the other therapies that we just discussed, need to be regularly monitored for these side effects, which, again, can be very easily treated. You know, interestingly, Alex, there's a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising. There's been a huge increase in testosterone prescribing. Patients are coming to me and saying, I have low T. What do you make of all that? So, you know, this is, and I'm actually really glad you brought that up because this is one of those cases where the direct-to-consumer marketing has entirely changed the field of hormone and testosterone management in, uh, in men. And the reason I say that is this direct-to-consumer push, the awareness that has happened that, you know, that patients now know or at least are know to ask the question, well, is it low T, you know, has sort of driven a drastic increase in part, a drastic increase in testosterone prescriptions. Part of the problem is that you know, not all of these prescriptions were made on the basis of laboratory testing and symptomatic evaluation, right? So about 30, in, in one study, about 30% of these prescriptions were written with zero testing. So a patient, you know, ask a doctor for testosterone and says, yeah, sure. And just like we talked about, testosterone can be a great drug, but it can be a very, can be a dangerous drug as well, has a lot of side effects. So, you know, I think to answer your question, Paul, I think this is a good thing because I think patient awareness of conditions is really important, especially for guys who don't like to go see the doctor, you know, but we need to take the responsibility as physicians and caregivers and sort of the, you know, gatekeepers to healthcare to evaluate and treat these patients appropriately. All right. So based on what you just said, Alex, uh, what does a future treatment landscape of hypogonadism look like? I mean, are there any therapies in the works that aim to address some of these side effects that you talked about? Yeah, so I think the I think the future is pretty bright for the future of hormone management. Now, I think testosterone is going to remain a mainstay of hormone management. The trick, the trick with testosterone, we're finding out is appropriately dosing it. Right? You know, so if you look at the FDA recommendation for testosterone injections right now, the recommendation is to inject 200 milligrams once every two weeks. This symptomatically really doesn't work for patients because they get a huge peak in testosterone levels and then, you know, within a few days, and they feel great. And then within a few days, those testosterone levels drop back down to close to normal and they don't feel as good anymore. But then they have to wait another week or so for another injection. So what I'm getting at is, you know, most folks who do this on a regular basis have, have learned to prescribe less testosterone more frequently right? So that's one, that's one sort of improvement that we've had in recent years. And then there's actually a lot of exciting drugs in the pipeline. You probably know, like one of the first questions a patient asks you when you talk about treatment options is, hey, is there a pill for that? And they're really serious, right? They want the pill. They don't want to stick themselves with the needle. They don't want to put something in some other orifice, right? You know, so there is an oral testosterone that's been improved in Europe. Um, it will probably be approved in the U.S. It wasn't approved um, on first pass about a year, year and a half ago. There are other drugs which are called selective androgen receptor modulators or SARMs, um, which are very exciting. And, you know, the, the cool thing about these drugs is that depending on the tissue, they do different things. So, you know, there's the potential that some of these SARMs are going to be able to treat the symptoms and uh, signs, meaning like muscle wasting, uh, obesity, or, or, or weight gain, and, and bone density issues, 
um, that are associated with hypogonadism without any of the side effects. You know, and then there are some new technologies in the pipeline in various places across the country and the world that can also help us deliver any one of these drugs in a more controlled fashion, you know, in, in a way where, you know, right now patients have to either, you know, give themselves, put a gel on daily, do an injection once or twice a week. You know, I mean, it's definitely not the type of medicine that you would associate with with 21st century, you know, but these new technologies are going to be, be like really slick, you know, ways of delivering drugs that the patient's not going to have to worry about and that are really going to optimize and bring back to physiologic how um, the system should have should be working in the first place. So, Alex, any final takeaways to leave us with uh, and our listeners? Uh, anything we haven't covered? Yeah. So I think people need to walk away from this knowing that low testosterone or hypogonadism actually is common and readily treatable, right? But as both physicians and patients, if you end up on testosterone, or really regardless of what you end up on, you need to be monitored regularly. So you need to see the doctor, you know, two to three times a year, have blood tests, have your dosing adjusted and any other medications adjusted to treat any side effects, you know, and um, in order to really dial it in. You know, the other important point is that there are good treatment options for guys who want to be fertile. So the young guys who have hypogonadism and want to be treated can be without sacrificing their fertility if they talk to the right person. Well, Alex, I'd like to thank you for sharing your insights and how we can be more aware of hypogonadism in our male patients. And it was great having you on the program today. Paul, thanks so much. You know, this, this, is, this is a really important topic to discuss. We probably could have spent an hour on it. But pushing the awareness and letting people know that, that there are good treatment options and good monitoring is really important. So thank you. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and you've been listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. To access this episode and others in this series, visit reachmd.com slash sexmed, where you can be part of the knowledge.